Hi, everyone, and welcome to your San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. COVID-19 numbers in the region are falling, but how soon might we be able to get to the red tier and who's next in line for vaccines? Jonathan Wozen answers those questions. Plus, Abby Hamblin introduces us to a novelist from Coronado whose new book is incidentally about vaccines. First, the news. San Diego Unified School District announced Tuesday that it plans to reopen schools for all grade levels the week of April 12th. For schools to open by that date, San Diego County would have to drop to red tier or lower, and school staff would need to get both doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. The district and its teachers union struck a deal Monday night. Staff will return to school the week of April 5th, right after spring break. The San Diego City Council Tuesday endorsed new short-term rental regulations that could cap rentals by as much as 30 percent. Under the plan, rentals of entire homes that are available for more than 20 days a year would be limited to 5,400 or about 1 percent of the city's total housing units. Home-sharing platforms and organized labor support the plan, though it still needs approval from the California Coastal Commission. If approved, regulations will not take effect until July 1, 2022. San Diego home prices rose 13 percent in a year at the end of 2020. That's according to the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Indices reported Tuesday. Only two other metro areas saw prices rise faster, Phoenix at 14.4 percent and Seattle at 13.6 percent. Yet all cities saw notable gains and nationwide the average increase was 10.4 percent. Analysts said home shortages and a lack of active listings across the nation caused the increase. The U.S. marked a grim milestone this week when it surpassed half a million COVID-19 deaths. In San Diego County, over 3,000 people have succumbed to the disease, but there's hope as vaccines are given and new daily cases decline. Jonathan Wozen is our biotech reporter and is covering COVID-19 in the region. Jonathan, our case rate as of today is 22 per 100,000 residents. Has that been declining reliably? Yeah, you know, cases have been declining pretty consistently over the past couple of months. Think back to our big case surges in November and December. So what we've been seeing lately is that, you know, we're still still definitely in the purple tier and the most restrictive reopening tier. But any given day, the number of new coronavirus cases uh, has been going down. So in terms of individual days, yesterday we reported about 300 and 20 cases that day, and the numbers have been below 1,000. So that bodes well in terms of our overall case rate that the state's calculating. So it is possible within a few weeks from now that we could dip back into the red tier, which is uh, would allow us to reopen a little bit more from you know, in terms of our local uh, economy and businesses here. What is the decline uh, attributed to? Is it the vaccine? At this stage, people are saying that it has more to do with individual behavior, wearing a mask, staying at home, hygiene, uh, because we're still at a point where the vast majority of San Diegans have not been vaccinated. So you know, we have 3.3 million people in the county, and I think there are basically are a few hundred thousand people who've gotten their shots. So really, it takes the majority or the vast majority of the public to be vaccinated for that to be the thing that's driving down case rates. It really seems to be people just observing kind of public health guidance we've been hearing uh, kind of over and over again throughout the past 12 months. 
Cool. Well, that's good news. So right now, people 65 and older, healthcare workers and long-term care residents and staff can get vaccines here in San Diego County. Who is going to be in the next tier and how soon might we get there? So some of the people who are next up include teachers. They include people who work in grocery stores or who work in agriculture more broadly, police officers or other people who work in that emergency services category. We've heard from the county that those groups could start to get their shots as early as basically next week, um, so early March. And we also know the state of California is going to be setting aside some doses from their vaccine supply going forward, specifically for teachers. So I would expect that you would start to see teachers vaccinated as early as next week in San Diego. You wrote about the equity of shot distribution in San Diego, and you found that people of color are being vaccinated at lower rates, and it's not because they're shunning the vaccine, it's actually because the vaccine has not been available. Can you tell me about that story? Right, so the, the county, ever since they started the vaccine rollout, they've been sharing data on who's getting vaccinated and where. So we basically took a look at that data and tried to learn what we can learn in terms of how equitable that's been if you listen to a county press conference or anything from the state or federal government, that's, that's kind of become a, a, a term that's bounced around a lot in these conversations. So we wanted to see if the rate of vaccination was equivalent between people of different racial and ethnic groups. And we found that even when you control for the fact that not everybody is eligible to get vaccinated, so you just talked about people 65 and up and healthcare workers, for example, that's a different group of people than San Diego overall. But even when you correct for that, you'll see that uh, white San Diegans are getting vaccinated at a higher rate than Asians, Latinos, and in particular, uh, black San Diegans. So we did a lot of reporting to figure out what's going on there. And you know, it's not simply vaccine hesitancy, people choosing to say no, it's uh, issues around being able to make an appointment. So. I think it's hard for everybody right now with limited supply to navigate these online signup systems and keep refreshing over and over again, trying to get a shot. But if you don't have a computer or aren't computer savvy, that's gonna be an issue. Language barriers, especially for people in our refugee communities uh, who speak you know, dozens of different languages. So even knowing what's going on with the rollout, how you can access the vaccine in different ways uh, and transportation. So. You know, the county, to be fair, they've put a whole bunch of different vaccine sites in place, uh, almost a couple dozen throughout the region. But if you don't live close to one of those and you know, need a car but don't have one, that's going to be a barrier, even though technically you can take public transport and not have to pay if you have documentation that uh, you have a vaccine appointment. So you know, technology, language barriers, some level of vaccine hesitancy, but really issues around access at, at this point, I think. Is the county working on improving that access at all? They are, they are. And we, we talked a little bit about that work in the story. They're, they're working with a whole bunch of on the ground community groups. They're working with the San, San Diego Refugee Communities Coalition. They're working with the Chicano Federation. You know, the county is partnering with other groups too to get information out about how you can get your shot. There's a website, I think called Black COVID Facts, uh, SD.com, that county officials and other uh, Black physicians and researchers in the region have put together. That's kind of a one-stop shop 
to answer basic questions about the vaccines and uh, everything from vaccine myths or misinformation to how you can get one to how you might feel in terms of side effects. So I, I think they are doing a number of things. They're also reserving a certain number of vaccine doses specifically for uh, people in hard hit minority communities. We don't have the exact numbers there at this point, but uh, we know that that's happening. So they, they are trying in a couple of different ways to uh, improve that aspect of the rollout. The Petco Park vaccination superstation reopened today, Tuesday, after being closed for a couple days. That's been happening recently on and off. And, you know, you've written that it's because of winter storms that have slowed down shipments. What is the latest and, and will this continue to happen? Well, the, the latest is that they are open today. And I don't think we know at this point what is going on tomorrow, what the situation is tomorrow. So, yeah, over the past week, as you mentioned, we've been... You know, we've heard for a while now that supply, of course, is the one thing that will dictate how fast or slow vaccination happens in San Diego. You have to have vaccine to give vaccine. And because of the winter storms that have been covering a good chunk of the U.S. over the past week, that's affected vaccine supply, both for Moderna and Pfizer. It seems to be a bit more of a problem for the Moderna vaccine at the moment, which is the one that, that UC San Diego is, to, is offering at the Petco Park site. So yeah, the site closed over the past weekend, reopened, uh, you know, briefly closed, you know, again. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's definitely been an issue. And I, I think we still don't have a long-term picture of whether this could happen again. I, I think people at the county would say it's possible. It all depends on vaccine supply. You know, President Biden has talked about giving states and, and local public health officials a basically a three-week look ahead in terms of what the vaccine supply is going to be like you know, three weeks out. You know, evidently Governor Newsom's getting that information, but that's not being relayed to all the counties, is what the LA Times reported. So I think we're still at a point where there are all these vaccine sites that are uh, that, that exist in San Diego, but uh, the actual doses that you need to run them are coming in in a, in a pretty, you know, in, in fits and spurts. And as that happens, uh, you know, people are obviously a bit nervous about when they can get their shot and if they'll get it on time. And I think we're still in that uh, kind of uncertain place right now. And finally, I know that Johnson & Johnson, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has yet to be approved, but I know that some people are concerned just because the efficacy rate is lower. Uh, is it a good vaccine? Yeah, it's a good vaccine. These are all good vaccines. Uh, you know, when about a year ago when we were first thinking or hoping, uh, you know, when, when it came to vaccines, when this was all hypothetical, the FDA originally set the bar at, okay, show us that your vaccine is at least 50% effective. And actually, if you read the fine print, the real bar was 35% effective because of some of the statistics that go into how you measure these things. And every one of these companies that has a vaccine that, that is either authorized or soon to be authorized is, is well above that bar. So the thing with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that's a bit different from Pfizer and Moderna is that it was tested later. So their trial started later, which means that they had to deal with these different variants we've been hearing about, the UK variant, the South Africa variant, these forms of the virus that 
spread uh, you know, quite a bit more easily, or I, which means that that vaccine was tested in a way that that, that Moderna and Pfizer were not. Uh, so it's easy to kind of fall in love with this 95% effective measurement that we have for Moderna and Pfizer, but that measurement was over a different period of time than Johnson & Johnson. Uh, we also know that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine does a pretty good job of keeping people out of the hospital and keeping people from dying of COVID-19, which are really important things for the healthcare system. Uh, and it's a one-shot vaccine. So for some people, that will definitely be a plus. Uh, it can be kept at room temperature much, or at, at refrigerator temperatures much longer than the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, which has to be kept uh, cold or in, in Pfizer's case, super cold. So logistically, it's easier. I think from a communication standpoint, that, that's really the issue, less the science and more the public health messaging of really conveying that these vaccines are all effective. They were tested at different points in time. Uh, Johnson Johnson was tested in a bigger, more um, you know, multinational uh, trial as well. So that's you know, another piece to keep in mind when you're trying to compare these, these numbers between companies and their trial, trial data. Super insightful. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Yeah, sure thing. Let's turn now to opinion. Abby Hamblin is an opinion editor and producer at the UT, and together we host an interview podcast called Name Drop San Diego. It comes out every Tuesday. Hi, Abby. Hi, Christy. Okay, so our guest today is Marisa Reichardt. She writes young adult fiction, and she's from Scripps Ranch and Coronado. What do we need to know? Yeah, so this is her third book. She's in the young adult contemporary category, so you can go check out her other stuff. But her latest release, which just came out this month in February, is called A Shot at Normal. And it's insanely good timing for this book. And even she sees the, even she thinks the timing is bizarre because the book is about a young teenager who wants to be vaccinated, but her parents don't believe in vaccinating their kids. So the timeliness of the coronavirus vaccine being the biggest story of the year and the century is like, and her having a book about, you know, vaccines is just insane. Yeah, it's amazing. And she didn't plan on that, right? Right. So she says she came up with the idea in 2018 when um, some cases of the measles were popping up and she was also seeing some of her um friends or acquaintances talking about not vaccinating their kids on Facebook. And then she wrote the book in 2019 and she turned it in just two weeks after the lockdown started in March. So th seriously, the timing is just amazing. And um, yeah, she, it just came out this month. So yeah, couldn't, couldn't be more interesting timing, but she turned it in, in March, 2020. Yeah, seriously, what luck. Um, so you read her book, A Shot at Normal. Would you mind synopsizing it for us? Yes. So this young teenager, um, like I said, she grows, she grows up in a family where they don't believe in vaccinating their kids and kind of learns the consequences of that. I don't want to spoil it too much, but as a teenager, she realizes she really wants to be vaccinated. And so she takes her parents to court and you just kind of learn all about her life and what her parents think. And, you know, it really talks about kind of the agency that a teenager has and 
I think that it's, you know, teenagers today have so much information and have so much access to sort of activism and organizing and, you know, just being empowered through the information that they have. And so it just kind of illustrates, you know, the era of teen, teen life that we're in and, you know, what it's like to try and, you know, be who you want to be at that age. Yeah. And Marisa writes, um, in a teen voice so well. We asked her about that. It's because she has a teenager of her own, but she did a reading for us. So let's go ahead and play a clip. I'm going to go a little bit far and go into chapter 10, but I don't think it's much of a spoiler. As long as you've read the jacket copy, you kind of know this is coming. I skate for at least an hour to clear my head, then arrive at the urgent care clinic at five o'clock. The sign on the door tells me they're open for another few hours. That should be enough time. I pull the bottom of my shirt up to wipe the sweat from my forehead and go to the front desk, not exactly sure what to do. My insurance card is in my mom's wallet and I don't have any money. The door to the hallway where the nurse took my vitals a few weeks ago is over my left shoulder, but the L-shaped check-in counter has one half in the waiting room and one half in the hallway. I can see the shut doors of exam rooms inside the hallway, which means those rooms are full and I might have to wait a while. I need to talk to someone, I say. A guy looks up from his computer and pushes the clipboard on the counter toward me. Sign-in sheets right there. Can I get shots here? A flu shot? Shots, plural, all of them. He squints at me. What do you mean? Are you traveling out of the country? Nope, but I've never had any vaccinations and I want all of them. How do I do that? He looks at me like I'm kidding. I'm serious. He finally pulls away from his keyboard and really looks at me. Are you 18? I'm 16. Do you have a parent or guardian here with you? They'll say no, I need to take care of this by myself. He puts his elbows up on the desk, leans forward. No vaccinations ever, MMR, tetanus, chicken pox, none of them. He leans back in his chair, hands behind his head like a cradle. Wow, I'm a freak, an anomaly to someone in the medical field. Coming up on the right, Juniper Jade, nocturnal and not vaccinated. Don't feed the bears. Don't vaccinate the children. Okay, Abby, what stood out to you about the book and also our interview with Marisa? Well, first of all, it's been a while since I've read a YA book, and I realized how much you can really enjoy one, even if you are no longer a young adult. And especially um, this topic is so timely and important to everyone that it doesn't matter that it's being told through a teenager's eyes. Um, it's just something that's kind of interesting to sit with and think about. And something I really liked that Marisa was talking about is that she doesn't write about what she knows, which is so often what you hear as advice for writers is, you know, write about what you've already experienced or what you know. She writes about questions she wants to have answered. So one of her previous books, for example, is about um, the big one, you know, the earthquake that's supposed to hit California and what it's like to go through that. She's also covered mental health and um, gun violence in a previous book. So she really tackles the big issues. And I was really uh, inspired to hear her talk about writing about things she wants to try and understand better. Cause I feel like that I relate to that a lot. You know, it's a lot um, that writing can help you do to work through an issue. Yeah, we talked to her a lot about just writing itself and she had some really good tips like she told us she likes to write to playlists that she creates. Um, she also talked about the time of day that she likes to write where she likes to write so tons of great tips there. Um, anything I'm missing. 
I just thought that everybody should go listen to the interview, but she has a really cool trick for getting herself in the mindset to write. So any future writers out there or people who want to be writing in their free time just for themselves or for a novel, whatever it may be, her trick is really cool. And I think I'm going to try it. And so I recommend, um, you know, even if you're not going to read the book, this is just a pretty interesting conversation to listen to, to hear about what it's like to be a writer. Yeah, agree. Okay. Thank you, Abby. Yeah, thanks, Christy. You can find Name Drop San Diego wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Name Drop SD. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten, and we'll be back tomorrow.